between those who are lost and saved, discerning the difference between that is what is of God, what is not of God. We've talked about how discernment seems to be a lost art in, in today's um, Christian community, and it's one that we certainly need to get back. It's not just something that SEAL Team 6 Christians get, and there's no such thing as SEAL Team 6 Christians, by the way. Right? This is something that we all have through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God, through the Word of God, that each one of us can now discern not only should now uh, we be able to discern, but we should have the desire to discern for ourselves um, what is right, what is wrong, what is of God, what is not of God. There's many, unfortunately, who have fallen into the trap that it's, it's just the pastor's job or the Sunday school teacher's job or a missionary's job to know the Bible and to then to tell us what to do and what to think and all that stuff. I want you to know, get that out of your mind. Right? The, the greatest... Uh, and biggest and loudest preacher that you will ever have in your life is going to be what you preach to your own heart. It is going to be how you spend time in your own study, how you spend time in prayer individually. I, I've got maybe four hours a week that I, that I get to preach from, from this pulpit, and, and that's not counting, of course, you know, different conversations or questions and things like that. But I want you to know that each believer is responsible to be able to know the Word of God for themselves. And I believe that this is not just an obligation, but it's a privilege and it's a gift that each one of you are able to do. So you don't need uh, a, a priest. You don't need uh, a bishop to go to, uh, to confess your sins to for, for God to then hear, hear you or forgive you. Right? We're not talking about the way the Catholics have done so for thousands of years where we're talking about um, they are the only ones that know the Bible and they are the only ones that can give truth and not us normal, average, everyday folks. See, we've got to remember that we have this Bible in our language that we can read because there have been countless, a countless of people who have been jailed, beaten, and even killed for translating the Bible, and God has preserved it to allow simple people from Carroll County and all other walks of life to know God's Word. And so God treats us in such a, a wonderful way so that we would be able to discern the difference in these days. Let's read here verses 1-6. through six. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Let me pause here for just a moment. Remember, this was the issue that we talked about last week where we have the different groups of Gnostics and the offshoots, if you will. We've got the one side that says Jesus was just some sort of mystical thing, not really in the flesh. Then the other side says he was in the flesh, but he was not God. We have to understand that the title here, Jesus Christ, that He is deity, He is God from eternity to eternity. He is the eternal, co, uh, co-equal, co-eternal, uh, yet distinct second person of the triune, thrice holy God. He is Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the sent one, the, the given one, the promised one, but as well as that He has come in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. There has never been anyone else to be God in the flesh, nor will there ever be anyone else to be God in the flesh. There is only one God-man, and that is Jesus Christ. And to miss that, even just by a hair, right, means not saved, not saved, and not of God. Now, those of us who are of God confess that Jesus is a Christ, that He has come in the flesh, and that He is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is, is it in the world. We talked about how the spirit of Antichrist is not just the big Antichrist, if you will, during the tribulation period. We're talking about little Antichrist in the sense of those are those who are false prophets, false teachers, who spread uh, false doctrine. 
These are the ones that go against the church of God. These are the ones who have literally been this Antichrist spirit from the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden until the very last temptation that there will ever be in this world. The spirit of Antichrist is one that is against Jesus, against his word, against his people, um, against his commands. It is completely uh, contrary, an enemy of the cross, an enemy of Jesus. Now, here's where we're going to be in today. Verses four to six. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, speak they of the world and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not, uh, he heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. As we look here today, first of all, the first truth we want to look at is that statement in verse number four. Ye are of God. This should bring an assurance, a confidence about who God is and our position in Christ that if you are of God, that will not change. You, you are the idea is really that we're born again. It is this idea that we've been adopted into his family and there's no changing that position, right? This is who we are. We are in Christ because Christ is in us. We abide in him because he abides in us. It is who we are because of who he is. Now, Cruz writes, the author addresses his readers as dear children, the word technia, seven times in this letter. You see the little references there. And in each case, this direct form of address introduces something which he wants to impress upon them. Here he wants them to know that by their confession of Jesus come in the flesh, they show that they are from God. To say that people are from God means that they are children of God or born of God. So here he's addressing them as children sort of in the twofold way. One, he's done this multiple times already where he's sort of this fatherly figure to them in the faith. But then on the other hand, he is showing that if we are of God, then that means that we belong to God. We are his children. We've been adopted. We're called joint heirs with Jesus. We are uh, sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have a great inheritance, not because we have earned anything, but because of his grace that has been bestowed to us through, uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we see that as we are now in him, that we are no longer of the world. We are no longer of our old father or old master, the devil. We have the wrong idea, and it's, fortunately it's been preached for far too long, that everybody that is alive today is a child of God. I want you to know everyone that is alive today is not a child of God. It sounds really nice. It sounds good, right? But here, here we have to understand this, that while we might be all made by God, the issue is, spiritually speaking, we are born not of God. What that means, we're born dead in our sins and trespasses. We're born separated from God. So if we're separated from God because of our sin, are we of God? No. Right? That would mean that we're from Him, to be of Him, uh, to, to know Him, to have fellowship with Him. To be of God means that there has got to be a change in who our Master is and who our Lord is. We see throughout the Bible that when we're lost in our sins, that the devil is our father, that it is his spirit that we follow after, what is an antichrist-like spirit. It is he that we listen to. It is the world that we conform our hearts to, and it is our lustful flesh that we live for. However, the moment that we repent of our sins and we trust Jesus and Jesus alone for our salvation, we are immediately born again and transformed by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. 
that now takes us from a terrible master, a terrible father, a, a terrible life, a terrible destination, to now we have God as our Father. And that position remains. And as, as He is our Father, He desires us to come to Him as little children. This word technia. To come to Him as little kids who simply just trust their father, who love their dad, who want to spend time with him, who go to him for safety, go to him for rescue, go to him for advice. And this should be the idea for every believer, right? Now he says this though, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now look at this. Ye are those, that, that word ye, are those who have confessed Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So the ones that ye are of God are the ones that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So there is a prerequisite, one not only to be saved, but as well to see and have this assurance of our salvation. And it is found in our position in Christ. It is found in the fact that we have confessed Jesus as Lord. The message and confession of such shows that we are now of God. Because when you're lost, you can profess many things, but to confess here is this sort of idea that we're going a little bit further here. We're putting our total trust and confidence in. It is that we're laying our whole life down on the line for this truth, that Jesus is Christ and He has come in the flesh. He is the God-man, that there is no salvation uh, outside of, of Him. And this is what truly distinguishes believers from unbelievers. It's been said uh, many times that many people miss heaven or miss salvation by about this much, right? The head and the heart. You see, the idea about that is not just a cute little illustration or anything like that. The idea is this, that there are, in this day, John is addressing especially the heresies of the Gnostics, which their heresies are still taught and they're around today. They just go by different names, okay? But the, the issue is that he's preaching to them is he is trying to make sure that they are able to distinguish who is real, who is of God, and who is not of God. And these uh, Gnostics were saying and believing that they were of God. Right? Think about this. Everybody in this room this morning believes that they are right. Right? You believe you're right this morning? All right. A couple of you do. Okay. The rest of you, you're not sure or you're not awake. Maybe you're questioning. I don't know. You think somebody's right, I guess. Okay. But the Gnostics had this idea they had a higher knowledge, a higher learning, a, a better internal light, if you will, that they had a uh, this sort of unknown knowledge that no one else could know except for them. There is no knowledge or wisdom or truth outside of Jesus. They had deceived themselves. They were deceiving others. But as he puts it here for us, ye are of God. This is something that we should be assured of and to know. That I am of God. Now, here's the flip side of this. We don't always feel that we are of God. Now, why is that? Not because God has changed, and not because our position in God has changed, but because we've lost a little bit of fellowship because of our sin. Right? Let's think about this. We're not always riding a high mountaintop, are we? No. Most of the time, we're either going downhill, or at the bottom somewhere, or we feel like we're in some sort of spiritual swamp, right? But yet, even in a spiritual swamp, we are still just that close from being to the Lord. We are still in Christ. We are still, as the Bible tells us, seated in heavenly places, we are already there, but not yet, right? So we have to understand that year of God and that this is truly what distinguishes everything. And it's not much of a difference. It, it, the difference is understanding not just with your mind, but belief with your heart. 
And what had happened to the Gnostics in this day, and even in our own days, that there were many who had this mental or um, theological maybe even understanding about things, but they did not have the heart, trust, and faith in Christ. And then there were others who maybe just worked on the outside and had their minds right, but yet still were not truly convinced of Jesus. This is the greatest thing that you may ever know. This is the most important thing that you must trust in and know and believe. And this is incredibly serious, not for just this temporary life, but for eternal life. But then he says something that is of great importance here. He says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who is the them? We're talking about the world. We're talking about the little antichrists. We're talking about the false teachers. We're talking about the false prophets. We're talking about the Gnostics. We're talking about everyone that is under the spirit of Antichrist. You've overcome them. And he says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is in the world? Well, we're told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse verse 2 about this. He says in Ephesians 2, 2, Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's the them, and that's the one that is in the world, if you will. So he tells us that you're overcomers. This is another thing that should encourage the believer today to have assurance of our salvation, but as well, encouragement for the future as we press forward in this dark world. We're of God. That should bring us joy. Because we know where we stand before God. When you're lost, when you are without Christ, the only way that you stand before God is that He is your judge and that you will not have anything to offer Him to get into heaven except your filthy rags of of righteousness, which is nothing. You will be cast into hell. But because we are now of God, not because of who we are, but because of who He is and how He has transformed our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit as we have trusted in His uh, work upon the, the cross and that empty tomb that He has resurrected to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. We're saved. We're of God. But then He doesn't just stop there. He says, now you are overcomers. Many believers need to be reminded of this today. That we have overcome. Not through our work, not through our goodness, but through the work and goodness and grace of God. Jesus has overcome them. The world. And therefore, we in Christ have overcome them as we have confessed Jesus and reject the false teaching. The greatest way that you can be an overcomer over all these things is to get in the Word of God and to discern. What happens, this, this word overcome is something, it's to, to overtake, to take over something, to, um, to, to hold on to, to be in control of. We have been overtaken, if you will, by, by Christ. By, by the power of the gospel. However, what happens to so many people who do not then grow in the Bible and in prayer and in the basic little things of being a, a little technia, a little child of God, if you will, is that they then become overcome by their emotions because they don't have their emotions controlled or in check. They get overcome by the world because the world applies so much pressure for us to conform to the world. We get overcome by... Uh, the, our own lusts of our flesh. We get overcome by our circumstances in the world. And then we lose the fact that we are conquerors. As we even are told in Romans, more than conquerors. Right? 
We, we are, we are we're on the winning side. Not just because we go to heaven, but right now we can live as victors. We have so many Christians who, who live in a spiritual swamp, not because that's the only place that God allows them to be, but rather because that's the place where they settle for. Because they choose not to live in the victory that is found in Jesus. Now, um, 1 John 5, 4 tells us this. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. How do we find our victory? Where is our victory found? It is faith. Not in ourself, not in our situation, but in Jesus. Uh, John also records in his Gospel what Jesus said in John 16.33. Now up at this point in John 16, he's preparing his disciples for him to, to, to be crucified, to disappear, the whole nine yards. He's giving them these last instructions. He says in John 16.33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, what is Jesus saying there? If you trust in me, all your problems will go away. You'll never have to worry about tribulations or issues. All your bills will be paid for. No. No, as a matter of fact, he says, In the world ye shall have tribulation. Now, I want to give you a little lesson in the Greek here. When he says, ye shall have, that means ye shall have. It means it's going to happen. You're going to have tribulation. Now, this does not mean the tribulation, right? Okay, But tribulations. So we're talking about lowercase tribulations, not the tribulation. So praise the Lord. We don't have to go through the, the seven-year tribulation. Praise God for that. But guess what? We've got a whole lifetime, don't we? But yet he tells us that we can have peace. How do we have peace? Because he has overcome the world. And therefore, when we are in Christ, we too have overcome. There's this idea that we will, uh, as, he, as we're told in Philippians, that the work that he has begun in us, he will complete it. That Christ is working in us and through us, and it's for our good and for His glory, and that every moment, every weight, every tribulation is just a momentary light affliction, that it's working something greater for the glory of God. So He does not tell us that we're not going to have tribulations, but rather He says, even in the middle of tribulations, you can have peace because Jesus has overcome. Therefore, no matter what happens to us, we too are overcomers. As I've said before, and I'll say it a million more times, the worst thing that can happen to you, dear believer, is that you die and go to heaven. Right? Sadly, the past couple of years, though, we, we've, we've seemed to have lost this idea. We've lost over the past few generations where we're afraid to death to go to heaven. Can you imagine that? We sing more songs about heaven than almost anything in our hymn books, and so many of us are so afraid of the what could happen tomorrow. We're, we're afraid of our own shadow. We're afraid of everything. We're told by Jesus you can have peace in the middle of tribulation. We're told that we are, uh, we, we have, are overcomers because greater is He that is in you. Who is in you? Christ. That's right. We're talking about the, the Holy Spirit of God who indwells and seals every believer, who encourage us, encourages us, strengthens us, guides us, leads us, convicts us. Uh, I mean, the, the whole nine yards. Right? We're called to live a Spirit-filled life. And to live a Spirit-filled life is not just for a pastor to be Spirit-filled, but rather it's for every individual. Every individual to be filled by the Spirit. And how do we become filled by the Spirit? It is by being led of the Spirit and obeying what the Spirit teaches, which is always found in the Word of God. The two go hand in hand. He always points us to the Word of, of God and He always 
will, will, he will never, ever point us to anything that is contrary to, to God's Word or, or to give glory to anyone else other than, than God Himself. And it says He's in you. And greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan is a terrible foe. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is clever. He is a million other things. But he is also the father of lies. He is also already a defeated foe. He, he already has no more chance to win your soul. If you are in Christ, guess what? Satan can go take a hike. right? Because guess what? He can't get your soul. But what will he do? If he cannot have your soul, he wants to steal your peace, your assurance. He wants to take those things away. And sadly, so many believers who have known God for so long and have followed the Lord through many trials and tribulations have lost their peace and lost their assurance because they have lost the truth that God says that we are overcomers, not because of our strength or our abilities, but because of our dependence upon the one that is in us and that he is greater than the one that is in the world. The Holy Spirit within each believer is greater than the spirit of Antichrist in the world. And what we see this, as we said last week, the spirit of Antichrist truly, to a degree, has been working since the Garden of Eden, where Satan comes to slithering in to whisper lies and to distract from God's word and even to make false claims against God's character to Eve there at the tree. But what do we find long before then? In Genesis, I'll turn there. Why not? Genesis 1, verse number, verse number 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That's terrible, ain't it? But look, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We talked about this. The moving is this brooding over like, like a hen with her chicks. Is a protecting and preparing. And so the Holy Spirit, long before the Spirit of Antichrist, is going to deceive Eve. The Holy Spirit is already at work. And He is far greater. Why? Because He's God. We have this sort of twisted understanding about God and the devil. Sadly, a lot because of Tom and Jerry cartoons and, and, and many other issues pop culturally, we hear the battle of good versus evil. The devil versus Jesus, right? It ain't no competition. And you, and you want to know why? The devil is a created being who fell because of pride in his own choice to disobey God. Who made him? Who, who made the devil over here? Right. So who's greater? The potter or the clay, right? It's the, it's the potter. It's the one who created. So therefore, if the same one who was brooding over the face of the deep is now indwelling every believer, that makes us overcomers. That should bring our hearts victory. We are more than conquerors. That we should have confidence as such. Now as we move forward, we see that we are distinguished by design here. He says, they are of the world. Remember, who's the they? The they and the them is those who are of the Antichrist spirit. Those who have followed the false doctrines. Those who are of the Gnostics in this day. For us, to a better understanding, maybe to a simpler understanding, is the them or the they are those without Christ. Those without peace and confidence and those without trust and faith. They, the Antichrist, they are conformed. They are of the world. They are conformed to the world system, beliefs, cultures, languages, etc. They're of the world, the physical world. 
These are the same ones that, that what we find in our day, to sort of put it this way, it's the lost world who don't know that they're lost, who will listen and are listening currently and following currently the spirit of Antichrist, which is ultimately preparing them to one day follow uh, the Antichrist. Okay? That, that, that's, what's, that's what's happening right now. And, and truly, I'll, what I would say this is what we're seeing in our world today is certainly preparing for that over there. Right? But what's happening now is every lost soul is following the path and believing uh, the Antichrist-like spirit and teaching to one day then, when the Antichrist does come, for them to, they'll trust him. It's not going to be this sort of, well, you know, I don't know about him. I, it, it's going to be full on. The same way that you and I should full on trust Christ, they're going to full on trust the Antichrist. That they are of the world. They have conformed to the world. All they know is the world. And this is what most people are saying today is that we've got to live for the world because this is all we've got. Most people today only believe that their entire existence is right here, right now, on this earth. And they do not believe in an afterlife or they're scared of an afterlife. They don't know if there is going to be an eternity. But sadly, there's going to be an eternity for them, but yet they've lived their whole life for right now and are totally unprepared for forever. This is the importance of knowing what we believe and why we believe it and being able to communicate it effectively. This is the importance of being able to discern the difference of the things that are of God, the things that are not of God, because our walk depends upon that. They are in the world and of the world, Whereas you and I as believers are in the world, but not of the world. Does that make sense? It's not only that we're all living in this world, okay? Physically, literally, this is our life. This is where we live. But they are of it, meaning they are in total conformity to the world's standards and beliefs and practices, hook, line, and sinker. Whereas you and I live in this world, and for us, we're not of it. Jesus said His kingdom is not of this world. And we're not of this world. right? We're already seated in heavenly places. We're prepared for eternity. Uh, the, whole, the whole works. Thatcher says, the fact that the Antichrist not only understand the world's language, but actually speak it, would only confirm John's belief that they were never true Christians in the first place. Those who truly know God, however, heed the true message proclaimed by John. This is sort of a startling quote, but it's one I certainly do agree with because I believe that there are countless people who are self-deceived, as he has talked about all throughout this book so far. That they are in the world and of the world. They speak of the world and the world heareth them because that's who they are and they don't know that they're not. They're duped into the lie that they are just one of God's children or that they're on a path that just leads to whatever happiness or heaven might be, and they're just on one of the many journeys to get there. There are no many journeys to get there. There is a straight and a narrow way. But there is this broad way that leads to destruction, and there will be many that go there. There's very few that are on the narrow road of Christ and trusting in Him. This should as well encourage us, but push us and drive us to evangelize even more. Because we're not sure how long you and I have personally on this world anymore. We don't know if we got tomorrow. We don't know if we got till this afternoon. We don't know if we got till 11 o'clock, right? We don't know when Christ may return. But we do know this. Is that 
we are overcome the world. We are more than conquerors. But that there are those who are in the world and of the world, and they hear the world and all they know is of the world, and one day they're going to die and leave this world behind too, but it will be a sad case of dying without Jesus. He says, to contrast once more in verse 6, we are of God. Now this is, we find this several places, right? Right? We've, all throughout this, these six verses, is of God. Ye are of God. Now we are of God. We are of God. This is something that we should probably, if you're saved, if you got to, every morning you wake up, I know the Lord, the Lord knows me, I'm going to follow the Lord. Every morning you wake up is the opportunity to either follow the Lord, to trust in Him, or to not. And that's our choice to make. It is our choice every morning that we wake up to either walk in the victory that is found in Jesus or to live in defeat. It is our choice every morning, every day that we wake up to either be the overcomers through Christ, the one that is in us, because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world, or to live a defeated life. We're not called to live a defeated life. We're called to live as these conquerors because Jesus has conquered the world. Therefore, we have overcome. We have conquered. Those who reject Jesus are of the devil and do not hear or listen to His voice. Uh, hold your finger there and go back to John, the Gospel of John chapter 8 for just a moment. John chapter 8. I'm going to skip ahead here, but to help you out, I encourage you to go back and read verse 31 down through 59, but I want to pick up in verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory, for there is one that seeketh judgment. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. As we go through then, verse 54, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. What he has done throughout this is he has talked about this uh, back up in verse 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. He's talking to these Pharisees who believed that they were of God because they had their phylacteries, their robes, they gave alms, they had long prayers, they had Scripture memorized, they had the works, but yet they did not believe the very same Jesus that was prophesied in all those Scriptures that they knew was standing before them. Their hearts were hardened and darkened and they did not hear God's voice, but rather they listened to the voice of their father, the devil. Jesus was a hard preacher. He didn't pull punches, especially with these folks. But then on the other side, those who accept Jesus are of God because they hear, which is the idea of listen and obey his voice. Just over page John chapter 10, verse, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own, uh, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. 
and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold, one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down my, of myself. I have no power to lay, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Then going down, verse 26 here. He says, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which giveth them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. To be of God gives us assurance of our salvation, confidence in our salvation. It shows that we have conquered the world because Christ has conquered the world and we are overcomers through the one that is indwelling us because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that those who are truly of Jesus not only hear his voice when he calls, but listen and obey. So when Jesus says go, we go. When Jesus says sit, we sit. When Jesus says pray, we pray. The whole nine yards. We follow and obey him. He is our good shepherd that cares for us, that lays his life down for us. Therefore, we follow him. We are distinguished as a distinguished people by the Holy Spirit to be able to discern the difference between truth and error or what is of God and what is not. Not only do we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to discern the truth from error, but we have the responsibility for our own sake. Turn back just a few pages to 1 Timothy, and we'll be done. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They faced that in the first century, and guess what? We're facing it today. Countless are falling away because they do not know the Christ that they thought they knew, or they were truly never in Christ, or they have a false doctrine, they have uh, false understanding, false um, ideologies, or false assurance. Then just down a few more verses in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, he says, But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now I've had individuals even tell me when I show them the Scripture about something, and about a question they might have, well, I, I'd rather just believe that old wise tale. It just sounds better. It makes me comforted. Once you know all the old wise tales and all the old sayings that you might have, they are nothing compared to the Word of God. Then over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll be done. 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is your call, your job, your responsibility, your ability to do so through the Holy Spirit of God. So I encourage you today, understand your distinguished position in Christ so that you might then discern the things of God from the things of the world. What we need today is not less prayer and less Bible. What we need is more prayer and more Bible. 
What we need is not less spirit-filled living and spirit-leading. We need more of it. More and more. What we need now more than ever is to simply stand upon the truth of God's Word, hold fast in the faith, and to be filled by the Spirit and led of the Spirit of God so that we would not just discern the times, but we would know personally and have the assurance personally that the Holy Spirit gives to us that we are in Christ and that we are overcomers so that we might live as victors and conquerors in this world and throughout eternity. Let us pray. God, we love You. We thank You for this time that we could study Your Word. Grateful for Your work. Grateful for Your goodness and Your faithfulness to us. Pray, God, that now that You would prepare our hearts, Lord, to, one, to sink these truths into our heart, to have confidence and trust in You, to be uh, the conquerors that You have uh, given us the victory to, to be, and, and Lord, through, through the Holy Spirit indwelling us. God, I pray as well that today You would prepare our hearts for this worship service, Lord, that all things that would be said and done would bring You glory and honor. Lord, I pray that You meet the need of every heart today. Lord, we love you and we thank you in advance for the things that you've already done and what you're going to do today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the